Good morning. Today's gospel reading, we heard the story of the disciple Thomas, often called Doubting Thomas, because he wanted to see Christ's wounds before he believed. I know we just had it told to us, but I'm going to tell it again, but in more of a narrative fashion, because I found that when we listen to Scripture as more of a story, it tends to stick better. And if you're anything like me, sometimes you tend to zone out during Scripture readings. And I saw a couple of you, you definitely looked like you were zoning out. So I'm going to tell it again. So as I tell this, I want you to see if you can pick up on some of the things that I'm going to talk about. The story opens with the disciples locked in a room because they were afraid of the Jews. All of a sudden, Jesus appeared among them. Don't ask me how, I don't know. Jesus just seemed to have this habit of popping up in places post-resurrection. So he, he appeared among them and said to them, Peace be with you. Then the disciples saw the holes in his hands and the wounds in his side and were glad when they saw the Lord. There was one disciple that wasn't there, however, and that was Thomas. When the other disciples told Thomas about what had happened, he didn't believe them. He said, unless I see the marks from the nails and put my finger in them, and unless I see the hole in his side and place my hand in it, I will never believe. A week after that, the disciples were all gathered again. This time, Thomas was present. And again, although the doors were locked, Jesus showed up among them. He saw Thomas and told him to put his finger in the holes in his hand and his hand in the hole in his side. So Thomas did and afterwards exclaimed, My Lord and my God. The story ends with Jesus telling the disciples, Blessed are those who do not see and yet have believed. In this passage, there are three things that stand out to me, and I'm going to highlight each of those. The first is that after putting his finger in the hole left in Jesus' hand from his execution at the hand of the Romans, and after putting his hand in the hole left in Jesus' side from the Roman spear, Thomas proclaims, My Lord and my God. According to the text, the disciples, minus Thomas, see Jesus, they see the holes in his hands and the hole in his side, and then rejoice when they recognized him. Despite this, we chastise Thomas. Maybe it's because that we are told explicitly that he needed to see Christ's wounds before he would believe. Maybe it's for a completely different reason. Honestly, I don't have an answer for this. However, I do think that the name Doubting Thomas is a bit unfair. Wanting proof before believing in something is a common human trait, even maybe a flaw, depending on how you look at it. If you spend any amount of time on the internet, you may have seen the phrase, Pixar, it didn't happen. It's really common. Humans want to see to believe. I'm guilty of this, and I'm sure you are too. In the Old Testament, we find, nestled in the book of Judges, the story of Gideon. Gideon was one of the judges of Israel appointed by God. Gideon is notorious for needing to see to believe, and he does this a lot. At the beginning of his story, an angel of the Lord appears to him. The angel tells him to go and save Israel from the Midianites. Gideon, in return, asks how he could possibly save Israel from the hands of Midian. The angel replies that God will be with him. Now this is where Gideon needs proof. He asks for a sign, so the angel tells him to gather a young goat unleavened cakes, and some broth. He then instructs Gideon to place the meat and the bread on the rocks and pour the broth over them. 
He does this, and the angel touches the offering with the tip of his staff. All of a sudden, the offering bursts into flames, and the angel disappears. When he sees this, he proclaims, Alas, O Lord God, for now I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. Then God replied to him, Peace be to you. Do not fear. You shall not die. Later in Gideon's story, we get the well-known story of the golden fleece. Then Gideon said to God, If you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said, Behold, I am laying a fleece of wool on the threshing floor. If there is dew on the fleece alone, and it is dry on all the ground, then I shall know that you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said. And it was so. When he rose early the next morning and squeezed the fleece, he wrung out enough dew from the fleece to fill a bowl with water. You'd think this would be enough for Gideon, who already had to ask for a sign before, so he already knew that God was in communication with him. But no, it wasn't enough for him. Then Gideon said to God, Let not your anger burn against me. Let me speak just once more. Please, let me test just once more with the fleece. Please let it be dry on the fleece only, and on all the ground let there be dew. So God did it that night, and it was dry on the fleece only, and on the ground there was dew. So after all this, Gideon goes on many successful conquests and dies a happy old man with 70-something sons and a bunch of wives. But it's not quite a happy ending, though, because if you know anything about the history of ancient Israel, you know that they forgot all that God had done for them, turned their backs on him, and messed everything up again and again and again. I just imagine God shaking his head and saying, guys, come on. We are so much like Gideon, though. We constantly probe God for signs of his grace and favor. Why was Thomas different? Here's my second point today. Thomas's response to seeing Jesus is completely different from that of the other disciples. Like Thomas, the other disciples needed to see the wounds before recognizing Jesus, and yet we call Thomas the doubter. I'm willing to bet that you would want proof before believing. I know I would. However, unlike Thomas, they failed to recognize the full divinity of Christ. Thomas proclaims, My Lord and my God. Thomas, the one we say doubted, was the first person in Scripture to proclaim that Jesus was God. Jesus was not part divine, he was fully divine. He was God made man, and Thomas was the first to see that. Why don't we exemplify Thomas for this? Why have we instead attributed him with the title of doubter? This wasn't the only time in scripture that Jesus revealed himself to people, and yet they did not realize it. This brings to mind the story of the road to Emmaus, which can be found in Luke chapter 24. After... Christ's resurrection, he appears to two travelers on the road towards Emmaus. The problem was they didn't recognize him. Jesus asked them what they were talking about, as any stranger would when inserting himself into a conversation. They stopped and looked at Jesus with great sadness. Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened here in these days? Jesus responded, what things? The two disciples then recounted the story of what had happened the past couple of days. They said, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a mighty, who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers 
delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. We had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back, saying that they had even seen a a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see him. Jesus' response to this story was to ask them, Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them all the scriptures and the things concerning himself. As they got closer to the village, they urged Jesus to stay with them. So he did and sat down for supper with them. When he was at the table, he took bread, blessed it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized Jesus. Just then, he disappeared and left the two alone. The story is a great reminder of one of the crucial aspects of the Eucharist. The presence of Christ is known to us in the breaking of the bread. In our gospel lesson from John, Christ is made known through the wounds of his past. God himself was revealed to Thomas through the scars and holes left in Christ's body after his torture, death, and resurrection. How awesome is that? We, too, come to know God through the wounds of our Savior. This brings me to my third point. Though Jesus was very much alive, his wounds still told of past abuse. Our Savior, alive yet wounded. Like us, we may be wounded, but we are alive. Some of you were here when I preached a few months ago, and instead of giving a sermon, I gave my testimony. To those of you who weren't here and may not know me as well as you think, I'll give you a crash course in my life, highlighting the bits that are relevant for this discussion. To start with, I grew up in the church and don't have some grand conversion story like some people might have. Not entirely relevant, but it's a good place to start since it's the beginning. Fast forward to my eighth grade year, that's when things started to fall apart. In April of 2009, My mom was diagnosed with acute myeloid leukemia. The prognosis was good. They expected her to make a full recovery and live the rest of her life in remission. My brothers and I were obviously still distraught since we lived with my mom since she got divorced from my dad in 2003. We were really close to her. She went through chemo and was in remission less than a month after her initial diagnosis. We moved in with her and the man she was seeing at the time and things seemed like they were going to be okay. They weren't. The man, Doug, turned out to be abusive. Not to my mom or my brothers, but to me. I lost all sense of self-worth. I became depressed because of that and the fact that the cancer was back. My mom had to leave again for a while. She went to a hospital in New Hampshire for a stem cell transplant. When she was gone, things got worse. Not only was I depressed, but I was suicidal. I hated myself, my life, and wanted to die. I had a plan, too. I was going to run away in the middle of a cold Maine winter and let myself freeze to death. My thought process was that it would be slow and painful, and that's exactly what I deserved. I was sent to a group home for teens in crisis because of this. It provided me with an escape. 
It was able, I was able to get away and recenter myself. I was still depressed, though. Then, in May of 2010, my mom died from the leukemia. We moved in with my dad, and I finished my remaining three years of high school. My depression became worse over that time. And then in 2013, I found out that my initial, my initial diagnosis of clinical depression was wrong, way wrong. My new diagnosis was bipolar disorder. I didn't want to kill myself, though. I had learned that no matter how hard life seems, sometimes it's still worth living. There's a poet named Neil Hilborn who I've grown to admire. He, too, has bipolar disorder and has struggled with thoughts of suicide. Now, here's a little disclaimer. He uses a lot of vulgarity, so if you go and look him up after church, be aware of that. If that offends you, just avoid listening to his work or reading any of it. But in one of his poems, he says, I think a lot about killing myself, not like a point on a map, but rather a glowing exit sign at a show that's never been quite bad enough to make me want to leave. When I first heard this line, things made sense to me. It was a great way to put what I was feeling in my head. At, now the point of all of this is that I am alive. I didn't take my life into my own hands. I am wounded. And like my Savior, I am alive. In the same poem, Neil says, I know tomorrow is going to come because I have seen it. Sunrise is going to come. All you have to do is wake up. The future has been at war, but it's coming home so soon. The future looks like a child in a cape. The future is the map and the treasure. The future looks just like gravity. Everyone is slowly drifting toward everyone else. We are all going to be a part of each other one day. The future is a blue sky and a full tank of gas. I saw the future. I did. And in it, I was alive. Christ's resurrection did a mighty work indeed but we are still wounded. We are still broken. But that's not the end of our story, just like it wasn't the end of Christ's story. We are alive. Not only are we breathing, not only are our hearts still beating, and if your mind works like mine, it's working at the speed of insomnia, we have life in Christ. Through Christ, his death and his wounded resurrection, we can enter into eternal life. Today's gospel lesson tells us, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. While this is certainly true, what I want to say to you today is blessed are those who are wounded and live. Blessed are those who are wounded and yet live. Thanks be to God.